And uh, rather than, there are 12 chapters in Daniel, rather than sort of systematically working our way through the entire book, we're kind of looking at themes, and, and the theme primarily is around standing. And there are key moments throughout the book of Daniel where we see this courageous man of God uh, unwilling to compromise his faith and taking a stand for what is right. Uh, and so we're looking at key moments throughout the book of Daniel where we see uh, a stand for faith being taken. We started in week one with standing out in chapter one. We saw Daniel and his friends choosing to have a different menu uh, from those others who were being trained in the king's courts. Uh, and they stood out because they weren't prepared to compromise by eating food that had been offered to idols. Then we looked at standing up in chapter four as Daniel confronts King Nebuchadnezzar about his sinful and wicked behaviour. We then last week heard from Terry in chapter 6 about standing strong, that um, famous story of Daniel in the lion's den as Daniel was unprepared to stop praying to his God. He stood strong in his faith. And today in chapter 10, we're talking about standing firm in faith. I've got a lot out of this chapter this week, and I'm really looking forward to being able to share with you some of the insights uh, that, that God has given me from this book. But I think in order to understand where we are, today we're in chapter 10, um, I just want to bring us into the context, first of all, of where the Israelite people are, and then talk just very briefly about the book of Daniel in itself. So the book of Daniel is written at a time, what is known as the Babylonian exile. So... The Babylonians who lived, I think I said this the first week, the, the geographical difference between Judah, which is where these Jews were deported from, to Babylon, was like the distance from Canberra to, to the Gold Coast, I think, something along those lines. That's a long, a long way. Um, there's no planes, there's no trains, there's no automobiles, they're on foot. Uh, that's a long journey. So they've really gone to a very foreign context. They're in the Babylonian exile. And they were actually there, it was prophesied and it came true that they would be there for 70 years. It's a long period of time. So I mean, if, you, if you're part of this group of people and you're in your 20s, well, you're going to be in your 90s. Okay, so you're basically going to spend most of your adult life in exile. They're in a foreign country. And in a foreign country, they eat foreign foods. Uh, it's a foreign culture. It's a foreign... Everything is different. They worship pagan gods. Everything is different. Everything is so foreign from what you knew back here at home in Judah. Now, when the Babylonians captured the Israelites in Judah, one of the things that they did was they destroyed the temple. And the temple was the centerpiece of Jewish worship. The temple was the place where God's presence dwelt. And so not only did they take these poor people all the way to a foreign land... And they were being punished, by the way, because they'd gotten so tied up in worship of foreign gods that God allowed them to experience this period of punishment. But not only have they been extracted and removed from their home, the very thing that gave them their identity as a people, the temple, has been completely destroyed. And the temple was the presence of God. You must know that in the Old Testament, people didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. They had to go to a physical place to experience the presence of God. So even though they were removed from their homeland, the very place within their homeland where the presence of God dwelt had been completely 
destroyed. So they find themselves in this foreign context, in this foreign land. Now Daniel, he's one of the Israelites, one of the many Israelites who's been deported. When Daniel was deported, we know that he was a young teenage boy. So at the beginning of Daniel chapter 1, so over here, Daniel is about 12, 13, maybe 14 years old. And even at that age, we see him standing in his faith for God. In chapter 12, at the end of Daniel's life and ministry over here, more than 70 years have passed. Daniel is well into his 80s. So, so much has happened in that period of time. Um, You might be familiar with the song, By the Rivers of Babylon, okay? It comes from Psalm 137, and verse 1 says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat and we wept as we remember Jerusalem. See, that psalm is about this very experience. These people are refugees. They've been completely deported, not at their own will, and they miss home. They're in a foreign place. They're living in a place that does not honour or worship or serve Yahweh, their God. They are people living in exile. Do you ever feel as though you live in a place that doesn't honour or worship God? Do you feel like a bit of a stranger, a bit of a refugee? You're someone who has a citizenship in heaven and here you're living on earth. And people kind of pine for these days when we were a Christian nation. I don't know if that statement is ever actually true. But people often, I hear people talking about the fact that we were a Christian nation. Well, leaving that aside, we're certainly not in a Christian nation now. And we're not in a nation that honours and serves and values God or the Bible, are we? And so there's some really interesting parallels between our current context and situation and what we see in the book of Daniel. I love learning about how the Bible fits together And it's so interesting to to understand the context because when we look at some of these Old Testament prophets, it's easy to get lost in what are they going on about? So if you've ever read Jeremiah, Jeremiah, uh, it's a long prophetic book. And now the the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is actually Daniel's contemporary. (laughs) So Jeremiah is a prophet who is speaking into this context. And Ezekiel is another contemporary of Daniel. So if you were to read Ezekiel or Jeremiah, you'd actually find it's in this exilic period. And even understanding that, understanding the context of where the people of God find themselves, breathes life and meaning into some of these Old Testament books that so often we either just skip over or don't understand. So it's so fascinating for me. And even the Psalms, so many of the Psalms, if you understand that this, oh, this Psalm is an exilic Psalm, that means that often that's why it's a Psalm of Lament. Because they're lamenting for their home. They're lamenting for the temple and for the presence of God. See, the Bible fits together. And it's so wonderful when you understand how it fits together. Now, during Daniel's time in Babylon, remember, 70-odd years, there are four kings. Now, as I read through Daniel, I have to keep scratching my head. Oh, hang on. This is a different king. That's right. There are four kings. So in the first four or five chapters, we have two Babylonian kings. The first is King Nebuchadnezzar. All these kings have really cool names. So the first is King Nebuchadnezzar. He's a Babylonian king. And basically, this, I've found it helpful to think of this like fish. 
okay? So Babylon was a bigger fish than Judah. So they come and they kind of eat Judah up and they take them back to Babylon where Nebuchadnezzar is the king. Now, Nebuchadnezzar dies and the next king comes over and he's Belshazzar, okay? He's also a Babylonian king. So we have these two, this period up to chapter 6 where we have two kings from Babylon. Then a bigger fish comes along from over here. And that fish is called Persia. Okay, it comes along and Persia eats up a Babylon. So now there's no Babylon, there's Persia. They're part of the, the Persian kingdom. And the first king from Persia is, is it Cyrus or Darius? Um, it's Darius. That's right, it's Darius. Okay, so he's the first of the Persian kings, right? And then the next king is King Cyrus, and that's the king that we have today. Now, throughout the book of Daniel, there's all of these visions and dreams and prophecies, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But all of these dreams and prophecies and visions actually correlate with the different kings, So there are prophecies about how these particular kings' kingdoms are going to come to an end and how they're going to die and so forth. Um, So that's just a little bit of context around where Daniel is placed in the Bible and what the history of the Israelite people is. So important for us to understand this if we're really to get the most out of the passage. Secondly, the book of Daniel itself. As I mentioned earlier, there's 12 chapters And the book of Daniel is kind of very neatly divided into two parts, part one and part two. Part one is chapters one to six, and these chapters are primarily concerned with narrative, it's story, it's really easy to read, like it's, it's a good read, Daniel 1 to 6, you can sort of sit there and read it in one sitting, and, and it's like reading a novel, uh, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Now, these six chapters are primarily concerned about Daniel and his three mates, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which, as you would remember from week one, are their new names, and Daniel is Belshazzar, as opposed to Belshazzar, that gets confusing. Um, Needless to say, I'll keep moving, but these first six chapters are kind of concerned about these four young men who got swept up in the exile, right, Uh, and who are now living in Babylon, but they're living exemplary lives. They're not compromising. They're standing for their faith. And and Daniel 1 to 6, the purpose of Daniel 1 to 6 is to kind of give people, particularly God's people, Uh, an example to follow when they're living in a a foreign land. (laughs) So when God's people are living in a foreign land, the Scriptures give us an example of how to live, and we live respectfully, um, but we we, we don't compromise. And we kind of see that that playing out in the lives, and we see God honouring and rescuing these men for standing firm in their faith. Now, Sometimes when we think about standing firm in faith and kind of standing up, we can have a really abrasive approach. But what we actually see with Daniel is, da- is, is the king continues, it, the successive kings continue to favour Daniel. God's favour rests upon him because of the way he approaches these kings. He's honest with them, but he's also very loving and very genuine. And I think as believers, the abrasive approach is not the approach we are to take. We are to take the loving approach approach. It is love that will win people over. Nothing else but love. 
And we're going to see that coming through in the scripture. Now, the second part of Daniel's, of the book of Daniel, okay, is 7 to 12. This is where it gets a bit weird. Uh, This is where it gets a bit wild and woolly and where many people probably get lost and go, I think I'm done. Um, and, 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 you know, I can understand that. Sometimes it's heavy going reading through the Old Testament. But Daniel 7 to 12 is what is called apocalyptic prophecy. That's a strange word. What does that mean? Apocalyptic means end times, okay? And it kind of means conflict. And so this second part of the book of Daniel is all about end times prophecy, what's going to happen. And that prophecy is actually broken into two categories. So the majority of chapter 11, which we'll talk about shortly, is concerned with prophecies for the countries of Greece and Persia and Egypt and Syria that have already happened. So when we read through that, it's already happened. But from chapter 11:36 on to the end of 12 is actually future stuff that hasn't yet come. So that kind of gives us just a little bit of grounding. So today we're in chapter 10. And chapter 10 is actually part of one long section, and that's chapter 10 to 12. So basically, in a nutshell, in chapter 10, Daniel has a vision of an angel. And we're just going to talk about that vision and that moment, that experience, that encounter with the angel today. But chapters 11 and 12 are actually the content of the vision, as I mentioned. Half of it is to do with stuff that's already happened, and another part of it is to do with stuff that is to come. So that's where we're at in chapter 10. Now, I just want to walk through Daniel chapter 10 this morning um, and literally just read through the scriptures and, and just kind of unpack what we see here in Daniel chapter 10, and then I have a few observations to make. Does that sound okay? Why don't we pray? Because I actually believe that there's, something re- there's some really cool stuff in here, and I would love to think that God might speak to you today, that God might actually have a message for you today that's, that's, that's something's going to shift for you. You know, there's, there's, there's a word of encouragement. There's a word of, of, of courage Encouragement means to put courage in. Maybe there's a word of encouragement for you this morning. Maybe there's something that God has for you this morning. I'm really mindful of that. So why don't we pray that we'll just be open to what God would say through his word and allow his word to speak. Um, So let's pray together now. Heavenly Father, as we come now to your word, the scriptures, we thank you for this Old Testament book of Daniel. And Lord, in many respects, it is just so far removed from where we find ourselves today, here in Erina uh, in 2017. And yet, Lord, I believe that if we come to you with a real openness to receive what you would have for us today, because we know that your word is living and active, and if we have your Holy Spirit dwelling within us, uh, he will illuminate all kinds of things with this living word. So I just pray, God, that you would do your work, that you would do a ministry um, this morning that only you can do, uh, and that you would speak to people, you would touch people, you would reveal more of yourself to people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The overall theme of Daniel is kind of courage and persistence in the face of trial. Courage and persistence in the face of trial. The other, I think, overarching theme of Daniel is this sense that, you know, even though things might look bad, (laughs) and maybe they're even going to get worse, don't forget 
that God is in control, that God is sovereign, and that God will have the final victory. So stand up and have hope. That's kind of the heartbeat of the book of Daniel. So Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, he's the fourth king, Daniel, also known as Belshazzar, that's his Babylonian name, had another vision. He understood that the vision concerned certain events to happen in the future, times of war and great hardship. Now what we gather from this verse is that Daniel's already had a number of visions, which is true. We're in chapter 10 now. If you go back and start reading from 7 onwards, you'll see those. All of these visions are concerned with future events, whether they've happened now or not, or whether they're yet to happen. All of Daniel's visions concern the future. And the visions are not encouraging. So basically, Daniel had a lot of nightmares. (laughs) Um, We'll get the content of what that difficult vision is in chapters 11 and 12. But what we need to know at this point is the summary. Daniel's about to get a vision, and it's not going to be good. (laughs) He's losing sleep over this stuff. Verse 2, When this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. All that time I had eaten no rich food, no meat or wine, crossed my lips, and I used no fragrant lotion until those three weeks had past. This is a difficult time for Daniel. Three weeks of mourning and fasting. He's depressed. He's feeling weak and flat. We're not told why Daniel was mourning, why Daniel was fasting, but if we actually turn to the book of Ezra, which is just another cool thing about how the Bible all fits together, we learn in chapter 4 that what actually happened was under King Cyrus, the first wave of Israelites were able to return back to Judah. So there was a lot of Israelites living in Babylon. Many of them had died. But those who remained, there was like a wave. They kind of went in waves. So the first wave of Israelites were able to return. This is 70 years after they've been in exile and in captivity. And King Cyrus allows some of them to return home. Now, Daniel remains in Babylon. He's in his late 80s. He's a government official. Perhaps he felt that that's where he needed to be. But many of God's people returned home, and they returned home to a completely destroyed, uh, vacated city, and the temple was destroyed. Now, their very first task and project was to rebuild that temple. If you go to Ezra 4 you'll see that the Israelites began and they laid the foundation and then they stopped. They were discouraged and there was oppression. And that's where uh, the book of Nehemiah comes in because remember, Nehemiah kind of gets this desire. Nehemiah, again, he's actually one of the captives. He gets the word that this has happened and he prays and asks for God's favour and goes back and oversees the rebuilding of the temple and the wall. So that's the book of Nehemiah. That's how Nehemiah fits in. But Daniel hears about the fact that the building of the temple has come to a standstill, that God's people, even in, back in their homeland, are being oppressed. And uh, biblical scholars suggest that it was that that caused Daniel to mourn and fast and seek God. So Daniel mourns and fasts and seeks God for three weeks. Verse 4, on April, so this is kind of Daniel's been mourning and fasting. 
seeking God. On April 23, as I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning and his eyes flamed like torches. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze and his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. Only I, Daniel, saw this vision. The men with me saw nothing, but they were suddenly terrified and ran away to hide. So I was left there all alone to see this amazing vision. My strength left me, my face grew deathly pale, and I felt very weak. What we have here is a, a very descriptive picture of some kind of a, a heavenly or an angelic being coming to meet Daniel. Um, it's quite remiss of uh, another description we see through Revelation. Um, and sometimes people will think that this is, the, uh, this is Christ, this is what's called a Christophany, um, but we'll come to see as the passage goes on that that's probably not likely. But it is a heavenly being um, sent from God to give Daniel a message. And what is Daniel's response? Verse 9. I mean, he's feeling deathly pale, um, and then, so it says in verse 8, my strength left me, my face grew deathly pale, and I felt very weak. The other thing to note is that Daniel is at the lake or the river with some other people. We don't know who they are. We don't know how many they are. But what we do know is that, that the presence of this angelic being comes, and these other people, these other guys, they can't see it, but they sense that there's some kind of a terrifying presence, and they flee. And Daniel himself is, is feeling so weak, he's feeling deathly pale. Um, and he basically ends up prostrate on the ground. Then in verse 9, we read, Then I heard the man speak, and when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. So let's just recap. Daniel's been for three months, or sorry, for three weeks in mourning and fasting, feeling so downhearted about God's people. He then finds himself at the river with, let's say, some friends. Uh, I don't know what they were doing, but this uh, incredible, terrifying presence comes, an angelic being comes, and his friends flee. Daniel is so overawed in the presence of this being that he gets to his knees, and then we don't know what was said, but it was so overpowering, overwhelming, he falls flat to his face. So Daniel is literally prostrate on the ground with his face in the dirt. He is feeling so weak, so vulnerable, so depleted. Let's keep going. Uh, verse 10. Just then a hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling to my hands and knees. So again, Daniel has now gone from, like, flat on his face and he's now like a dog. He's on all fours. He's still in a position of incredible vulnerability and, and weakness. You know, when you've, you're so weak, even just getting up onto all fours is an effort. That's kind of where Daniel finds himself uh, in verse 10. And then in verse 11, And the man said to me, Daniel, you are very 
precious to God. So listen carefully to what I have to say. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. When he said this to me, still trembling, I stood up. So we've gone from flat on his face to then all fours to then this incredible, beautiful, Daniel, you are very precious to God. And now Daniel is standing. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, Verse 12. Then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come to answer your prayer. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, for this vision concerns a time yet to come. Daniel has his encounter with an angel, and as so often happens when people encounter angels, their immediate response is a response of fear. (laughs) Um, But very often the first thing that the angel says is, fear not, don't be afraid. I've been sent by God to you. You are very precious to God. God has a message for you. Now, we're not going to hear what that exact message is in chapter 10, but the first and most important message for Daniel to receive is you are very precious to God. And now there's this interesting kind of spiritual warfare tag team bit that's going on in this passage, which is really quite fascinating. So there's 21 days. Now, 21 days is the period of time that Daniel's been fasting which is another interesting thing to note. Daniel prays, and it's as if in answer to response to Daniel's prayer, God sends this angelic being, okay, and he goes into battle in the, in, in the heavenlies. And he's kind of having this heavenly conflict, and he, he, he can't get beyond a certain point. And so Michael comes to kind of give him a hand. And it's like, it's like the tag team. You go and give the message to Daniel, and I'll stay here and continue battling. That's fascinating, isn't it? Um, so the angel gets to Daniel, and he's then there, and he's able to explain. Not, he's not there for too long, though. Verse 15. While he was speaking to me, I looked down at the ground, unable to say a word. Daniel is still just so overcome. Then the one who looked like a man touched my lips and opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing in front of me, I am filled with an anguish because of the vision I have seen, my Lord, and I am very weak. How can someone like me, your servant, talk to you, my Lord? My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. Then the one who looked like a man touched me again and I felt my strength returning. Don't be afraid, he said, for you are very precious to God. Peace. Be encouraged be strong. As he spoke these words to me, I suddenly felt stronger and said to him, please speak to me, my Lord, for you have strengthened me. Daniel is now strengthened. 
He's now in a place and a posture and a position to receive the actual content of the vision. But something has shifted. He, he's had a touch from heaven. He's had a word from heaven. You are very precious to God. Be encouraged. Stand up. Be strong. Have peace. And now Daniel is in a completely different mindset. We'll keep going. Verse 20. He replied, Do you know why how I have come? Soon I must return to fight against the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia, and after that the spirit prince of the kingdom of Greece will come. Meanwhile, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one helps me against these spirit princes except Michael, your spirit prince, I have been standing beside Michael to support and strengthen him since the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede. As I mentioned earlier, there's this kind of spiritual battle going on that is kind of uh, parallel with the battle that is going on on earth. And, and basically this particular <clears throat> angel needs to get back and get into the fight. Um, but it would appear that for certain regions or even perhaps certain people, there have been assigned uh, a, a, an angel who kind of fights for and against them. Uh, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? It's really fascinating. So that's kind of where we finish up in chapter 10. Now, there are just very briefly some observations that I want to share. And the first one is this. And this is Daniel chapter 10. You are never too old to have a fresh vision of God. You are never too old to have a fresh vision of God. Daniel was in his mid to late 80s when he experienced this encounter with an angelic being. And regardless of what our age might be or stage of life might be, stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in your faith, men and women of God, whether you're 80 years old, whether you're 10 years old, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, stand firm because you could still yet have a fresh vision of God. Daniel had a fresh vision of God because his heart and his ear and his mind was attuned to God. Here's an 80-year-old man fasting for the people of God. Attune your heart and your ear to the Almighty God. Stand firm in your faith. And I pray that all of you might experience a fresh revelation, a fresh vision of who God is so that we can move into a new stage of our faith and we're not just serving God out of previous or past experiences, but our faith is grounded in real today experiences of God. Who does not want real today experiences, encounters with the living God? <laughs> the next thing that I want to talk about is the potency of um, prayer. Actually, before I do that, I want to talk about spiritual warfare and the fact that it's real. And in Daniel chapter 10, we kind of see a curtain being pulled back and we get a glimpse into the mysterious mysteries of what's going on in the spiritual realm. 
I think one of Satan's primary tools that he loves to use is to get people to think that either this spiritual realm does not exist or it doesn't really matter. I don't consider myself a huge spiritual warfare kind of guy. I'll certainly say that it's there, but reading this chapter has been a bit of an eye-opener for me, I must confess, because I'm just like, whoa, this is real. This is going on. And all of a sudden, this gives an incredible sense of meaning um, to prayer that I probably haven't fully appreciated. And I just want to say, let's just have a quick look. Um, We'll get it up on the screen. Spiritual warfare is real. Like the Apostle Paul is all over this. So Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, the spiritual armor of God. Can we get that one up there, Em? A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And here's what I want you to take notice of. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. I think Daniel chapter 10 highlights the potency of prayer. Prayer is our most potent weapon against the evil one and his evil schemes. And what Daniel chapter 10 reveals to us is that there's a battle going on from the moment we pray. And we might pray and and nothing happens for a period of time. And we think, oh, well, God hasn't heard my prayer. Uh, Maybe God is going to answer your prayer in a very different way. But what we learn in Daniel 10 is that, yeah, God heard your prayer. The angel says to Daniel, from the very first moment you prayed, God heard your prayer. And he actually sent his angel as an answer to that prayer. But the angel is in heavenly battle. He's in warfare because of this prayer. And, if, and Daniel, he's, he's literally for three weeks, he's fasting and praying, and that kind of, in a way, hurries the angel along. So sometimes we might pray for something, and we don't see any outcomes, and we stop praying. And there's a sense in the spiritual realm of losing ground. And so I want to encourage you today You may have been praying about something or for someone for some time. Don't give up. Persist in prayer. Keep going. The heavenly angels need our prayers. Don't give up praying. Persist in prayer. It's such a strong message that comes through in Daniel chapter 10. The other thing that I want, the final thing, Um, the final observation from Daniel chapter 10 is heaven's message for you. Heaven's message for you. Up until this point, we've been talking about what's going on for Daniel. And that's great. But do you know why the scriptures were written? 
They weren't written just to have a record of what happened for Daniel. They're written to encourage God's people, to put courage into the hearts of God's people. We have stories of Daniel and his three mates as an example for us, as an example for future generations as to how we are to stand, as to how we are to respond when we find ourselves in foreign circumstances where God is not honoured. What's heaven's message for you today? Maybe heaven's message is to persist in prayer. But I want to focus in on the words that the angel spoke to Daniel. Because these words are the heartbeat of the New Testament. These words are the heartbeat of a loving father who loves his children and who wants them to know how much he loves them and cares for them and is committed to their good. God this morning says to you, you are very precious to me. You are very precious to me. Whatever circumstance you find yourself in, heaven's message before anything else is peace. Be encouraged. Stand up. Daniel has one touch from this angel and he is able to stand. And he is then resourced to be able to receive what's to come. He receives the message about the, the future of God's people. He's able to stand. He's able to continue serving. I don't know what is next for you, but maybe today you're here because you need a touch from heaven so that you can stand firm and you can be prepared for what is next. So let me finish with this. Heaven's message for you today from God is you are very precious to me. And Jesus hangs on Calvary for each and every soul. And he went to that cross so that you and I could be redeemed and restored to right relationship with a Father who thinks we are precious. And no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, the message is be encouraged. Stand. Have peace. I will resource you and prepare you for what lies ahead. You know, as we've heard from Daniel 10 today, I'm so mindful of the spiritual battle, the spiritual warfare that is going on. This is not just theory. This is reality. And there may be some of us who are literally just hitting a brick wall and we feel as though there's, there's obviously some conflict going on outside of this realm that needs breakthrough so that you can experience breakthrough. You might have reached the end of your tether. You may have no strength left to pray. <clears throat> and this is where, as brothers and sisters, we need to learn to come around 
and surround one another and pray for one another. So what I want to do now is I want to invite us into a time of prayer ministry for anyone who would like to receive prayer. Maybe you're at the end and you you just don't know what to pray, you don't know how to pray, but you know you need prayer for some kind of a breakthrough to help you move beyond where you're at. Maybe there's a spiritual battle going on that you're so aware and mindful of, but you just feel so stuck in and you feel like, Lord, I've prayed every prayer there is to pray. I don't know what else to do. Well, I want to say this morning as a loving community, can we not gather around one another and and take what we've heard seriously and take it to heart and lift one another up to prayer. So we're going to close uh, and I invite the team to come up. We're just going to close a song of declaration that reaffirms how precious we are to God because of his unending and unfailing grace. And then I want to ask you if you would have the courage and the vulnerability to be willing to receive prayer. And... We have a beautiful prayer room over here uh, which is going to be available for prayer. And I'm going to invite anyone in this room who just has it on their heart. Um, I'm trusting that God's Spirit is at work among us this morning. This hasn't been arranged or organised. But if God has it on your heart either to receive prayer, I want you to either um, just ask someone to pray for you. I want you to come to the front just to say, I'm here, I'm ready, I want to receive prayer. I want you to go to the prayer room, whatever you need to do. But I'm equally believing that God has placed it on some people's hearts to pray for people, to join and partner with people and, and help them in their journey. And so we don't, I haven't organised a prayer team this morning for this. It's just kind of happening live right now. And so I'm just wanting to say that if you're, if you're a mature believer, if you've got it on your heart, I want to get alongside and pray this morning. I want to see some breakthrough in the heavenly realms. It's going to see breakthrough here in the physical realms then you're just going to get alongside and pray for a brother, pray for a sister. So can we do that together this morning? I just invite you to go with the Spirit of God and where He's leading you. Father God, this morning we just thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you, God, that you are in control, that you reign, that you're sovereign, that you will indeed have the final victory. I pray, God, that men and women, even boys and girls, would experience fresh encounters, revelations of you in your glory and your goodness that you might reignite within us that first love, that our faith would become real and active and passionate and vital. I pray, God, that you would encourage us and spur us on to be a praying people, that we would pray into the heavenlies and that we would join in that spiritual warfare. And as Paul encouraged us to pray, to put on our spiritual armour and to pray, to recognise that we're not battling against flesh and blood, but we're battling against uh, spiritual powers and principalities that are at work. And God, I just pray for each person here this morning, Lord, especially for those who need that touch from heaven, who need to know how very precious they are in your eyes, who need to just have a word of encouragement spoken, that by your Holy Spirit you would touch each heart, and give them the message that they need to hear to be able to be resourced for what lies ahead. You're a good God and we love you and we thank you again for this morning and for your word. Amen. Why don't we stand together?